إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So in the last session we had gone through the subjects regarding seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hereafter. And then moving on from those topics, he had mentioned, وَمَنْ لَمْ يَتَوَقَّ النَّفْيَ وَالتَّشْبِيهِ زَلَّ وَلَمْ يُصِبِ التَّنْزِيهِ That whomsoever does not protect himself from the negation and from the resemblance making those issues, then that person will never uh, achieve the tanzih, meaning that he is freeing Allah from deficiencies. The people of innovation, when they rejected the names and attributes of Allah, it was because they claimed they were freeing Allah from deficiencies. They said, if we affirm the names and attributes of Allah, then that would mean that we are attributing deficiency to Allah. Because we have those names and attributes. And we've discussed that before, how that is not the case. But that's what they thought. And they thought that to free Allah from those deficiencies then, it would have to be a case of rejecting those names and attributes. But he says, النَّفْيُ tashbih." Maradan min amrad al that this rejection and the resemblance that people make between Allah and the creation, then these are diseases, two diseases from the diseases of the heart. The diseases of the hearts are two types. Maradu Shubha. The disease of doubt marad shahwa and the disease of desires Both of these diseases are mentioned in the Quran. The disease of doubts and the disease of desires. These are the two types of things that the shaitan in particular exploits uses to gain entry into a person. Doubts and desires. The desires, meaning the desires of the world and what the soul it wants, from the glitters and the beauties of the world, it drags the soul away into that, into the beauties and the glitter and the luxuries of the world. So the shaitan uses that as an inlet the desires to pull a person away from the religion. And the other type is the doubts that the shaitan may use. The doubts upon a person as the inlet. A person begins 
to doubt his aqidah, to doubt certain other aspects of the religion, become confused about affairs, doubts regarding tawheed, regarding intercession, regarding shirk. And so the shaitan uses that as an inlet to get to the person too. So the scholars, they say, the two main inlets for the shaitan are doubts and desires. And they are mentioned in the Qur'an, فَلَا تَخْضَعْنَا بِالْقَوْلِ فَيَطْمَعَ الَّذِي فِي قَلْبِهِ مَرَضٍ فَهَذَا مَرَضُ الشَّهْوَةِ In this ayah, it is referring, فِي قَلْبِهِ مَرَضٍ In his heart is a disease, referring to the disease of desires. And as for the other ayat, فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ فَزَادَهُمُ اللَّهُ مَرَضًا وَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ مَرَضٌ فَزَادَتْهُمْ رِجْسًا إِلَى رِجْسِهِمْ هَذَا مَرَضُ شُبْهَ When Allah mentioned in their hearts there is a disease and so Allah increases that disease. This disease that is being referred to in their hearts is the disease of doubts. So doubts and desires. وَهُوَ أَرْدَ مِنْ مَرَضِ الشَّهْوَةِ إِذْ مَرَضُ الشَّهْوَةِ يُرْجَى لَهُ الشِّفَاءِ بِقَضَاءِ الشَّهْوَةِ وَمَرَضُ الشُّبْهَةِ لَا شِفَاءَ لَهُ إِنْ لَمْ يَتَدَارَكَهُ اللَّهُ بِرَحْمَتِهِ The disease of doubts is more severe than the disease of desires. That is because a person who is taken away by his desires, it is hoped that once the person engages in those desires and fulfills them, that he may then eventually recognize and realize and repent and return. But as for a person who falls into doubts, he has confusions about issues of the religion in aqidah, in various affairs, that type of person is just going to become more and more dragged away by those doubts and confusions. That becomes more severe upon a person. There is no cure for that person. إِن لَمْ يَتَدَارَكَهُ اللَّهُ بِرَحْمَتِهِ Unless Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encompasses him with his mercy. وَالشُّبْهَةَ الَّتِي فِي مَسْأَلَةِ الصِّفَاتِ نَفْيُهَا وَتَشْبِيهُهَا So the doubts now, the disease of doubts, that is applicable when we talk about names and attributes of Allah. Because these two particular issues now, with the names and attributes of Allah, are considered as doubts. One of them is the doubt regarding negating the names and attributes of Allah. They say the only way we can be sure we're not comparing Allah to creation is by negating the names and attributes. So this doubt is in their mind. That's what we need to do. That's the only way. The other ones are the mushabbiha. They say Allah has talked to us about these names and attributes. They've got to be something we can perceive and imagine and picture. They've got to be like how we have the names and attributes. How else could they be? So then that doubt goes into their mind and they begin comparing Allah to creation. Saying that Allah has told us about these names and attributes. They've got to be something we can picture and imagine. They've got to be. What else could they be? So they begin to compare Allah to creation. Those are doubts in aqidah. وَشُبَهُ النَّفِي أَرْدَ مِنْ شُبَهِ التَّشْبِيهِ The doubts 
that lead the innovators to reject the names and attributes are more severe than the doubts of the others whereby they begin to compare Allah to creation. فَإِنَّ شُبَاهَ النَّفِي رَدُّ وَتَكْذِيبُ لِمَا جَاءَ بِهِ الرَّسُولُ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ Because those who reject the names and attributes, those who reject the names and attributes are rejecting what's in the revelation. They are rejecting what is in the revelation. Whereas those who resemble Allah to creation are simply, they're affirming, but they have gone into exaggeration in their affirmation. So that isn't as bad as the others who are outright rejecting the names and attributes of Allah. But these, the point is, they are diseases, diseases that a person falls into, diseases of doubts and desires, and when it comes to the religious affairs, they are the diseases of the doubts. How can we affirm these attributes to Allah? Will we not be comparing Him to creation then? In that case, we're going to have to reject those attributes. Doubts that come into their minds and they can't clarify them. They can't understand them. بعد ذلك قوله فَإِنَّ رَبَّنَا جَلَّ وَعَلَى مَوْصُوفٌ بِصِفَاتِ الْوَحْدَانِيَّةِ مَنْعُوتٌ بِنْعُوتِ الْفَرْدَانِيَّةِ لَيْسَ فِي مَعْنَاهُ أَحَدٌ مِنَ الْبَرِيَّةِ that indeed our Lord, the mighty and majestic, is attributed with the attributes of uniqueness, of oneness. The Tawheed of Allah. Allah is attributed with the unique and perfect and most beautiful of the names and attributes here. Man'utun bin'ut al-Fardaniyyah. He is attributed with the attributes of oneness, of uniqueness, that these are purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لَيْسَ فِي مَعْنَاهُ أَحَدٌ مِنَ الْبَرِيَّةِ There is nobody in creation who is comparable to that or can take those attributes or names. Nobody in creation would be able to do that. They are specific and unique to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. يَقُولِ بِنَ بِالْعِزِ الْحَنَفِي فِي شَرْحِ يشير الشيخ يعني الطحاوي رحمه الله إلى تنزيه الرب تعالى بالذي هو وصفه كما وصف نفسه نفيا وإثباتا وكلام الشيخ مأخوذ من معنى سورة الإخلاص فقوله موصوف بصفات الوحدانية مأخوذ من قوله تعالى قل هو الله أحد منعوت بنعوت الفردانية من قوله تعالى الله الصمد لم يلد ولم يلد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد نعم لم يكن له لم يلد ولم يلد وقوله ليس في معناه أحد من البرية من قوله تعالى ولم يكن له كفوا أحد سهيا وأن الإمام الطحاوي said that Allah سبحانه وتعالى is attributed with attributes of uniqueness only him that is taken from the statement, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ Say that Allah is one. No comparable, no nothing. Just Allah, the one, the unique. So, Imam al-Tahawi, that's what he's saying. Those attributes are unique and one to Allah. Then when he says, مَنْعُوتٌ بِنْعُوتِ الْفَرْدَانِيَّةِ That Allah is attributed with the attributes of oneness. 
That is taken from Allahu Samad, Lam Yalid wa Lam Yulad. That he is the As Samad, the one who the people return back to. And neither did he beget nor was he begotten, neither born nor does he give birth. So he is the one attributed with characteristics or with attributes of oneness. And Laysa fi ma'anahu ahadun min al There is nobody in creation who is in the meaning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and that is taken from the statement وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ That there is nobody who is equal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala No partner, no resemblant وَهُوَ أَيْضًا مُؤَكَّدٌ لِمَا تَقَدَّمْ مِنْ إِثْبَاتِ الصِّفَاتِ وَنَفْيِ التَّشْبِيهِ So this is the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His attributes are There is nothing like unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So His names, His attributes, they are unique to Him Then قَوْلُهُ وَتَعَالَى عَنِ الْحُدُودِ وَالْغَايَاتِ وَالْأَرْكَانِ وَالْأَعْضَاءِ وَالْأَدَوَاتِ لا تحويه الجهات الست كسائر المبتدعات that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above and superior and beyond being encompassed by any directions that Allah is above and superior and beyond being encompassed by any directions or any uh, any ends any directions or any ends. Allah is not encompassed by any sides or directions. All of that basically referring to body parts and body and those types of things. Allah is free from that. We don't say that about Allah. The six directions do not encompass Him. Like everything else. What is the purpose of this? It is as the Salaf. They said, here, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi is trying to highlight that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like what the people of Tashbih have said. هَذَا رَدٌ عَلَى كَلَامِ الْمُشَبِّهَةِ The people who compare Allah to creation begin to say that Allah has names and attributes or attributes just like us. And therefore Allah has a hand and eyes and face. He has a body like us. That's what they start saying. And that's wrong. That is incorrect to say that. We said many times before, it is impossible to imagine what the attributes of Allah are like. It is impossible to imagine or to picture Allah. So this is to refute them. He says Allah is not encompassed by angles or directions or sides. Allah is not encompassed by space. Arada arrad bihada al-kalam ala al-mushabbiha. This is to refute those people who were saying and used to say and still say maybe that Allah is a body. That Allah is a body, like we have bodies. Some of the people of innovation, of deviation, they start to say that Allah has a body. And that he has body parts like us, a body and body parts. He is a body like this. 
So that is incorrect, completely incorrect. As Allah said, عَمَّا يَقُولُونَ تَعَالَ اللَّهِ عَمَّا يَقُولُونَ عُلُوًا كَبِيرًا That Allah is far removed and high above what they say and what they attribute to Him and what they claim of Him. None of the Salaf ever said this. None of the Salaf ever began to say body or that Allah has a body. Nobody ever said that. فَالْمَعْنَى الَّذِي أَرَادَهُ الشَّيْخُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ مِنَ النَّفِي الَّذِي ذَكَرَهُ هُنَا حَقٍ لَكِنْ حَدَثَ بَعْدَهُ مَنْ أَدْخَلَ فِي عُمُومِ نَفْيِهِ حَقًّا وَبَاطِلًا فَاحْتَاجْ إِلَى بَيَانِ ذَلِكَ وَهُوَ أَنَّ السَّلَفِ مُتَّفِقُونَ عَلَى أَنَّ الْبَشَرِ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ لِلَّهِ حَدًّا So these are other principles. The Salaf are agreed that they do not know a limit for Allah. The Salaf are agreed that they do not know limits for Allah. وَأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَحِدُّونَهُ شَيْئًا مِنْ صِفَاتِهِ And that they do not describe Allah encompassed or limited in any way. We do not describe Allah as encompassed by sides or directions or limited in any way. قَالَ أَبُوْ دَاوُودَ الطَّيَالِسِي كان سفيان وشعبة وحماد بن زيد وحماد بن سلمة وشريك وأبو عوانة لا يحدون ولا يشبهون ولا يمثلون يرون الحديث ولا يقولون كيف He quotes the Salaf Sufyan and Shu'bah and Hamad ibn Zayd and Hamad ibn Salama and others that they did not used to limit Allah with directions or to be encompassed by directions Neither did they used to ever compare Allah to creation. They would simply narrate the narrations, affirm the attributes as they are, and leave it like that. No imagination or picturing or trying to make things up in your mind then. So Allah must be like this, then it must be like that, then never. The Salaf never did that. They never asked how. Like we said before, when it comes to names and attributes, you don't ask how. Allah says, He has a hand, we believe and affirm He has a hand. He created Adam with His hand. How is Allah's hand? What is it like? Allahu A'lam, we don't go into that. But we affirm Allah has a hand and He created Adam with a hand, with His hands. نعم. فعلم أن مراده أن الله تعالى أو يتعالى عن أن يحيط أحد بحد. So the point is that Allah is far above and greater than anybody to encompass Him with a restricted, limited direction or uh, to uh, uh, encompass Allah with limits. Allah is above that to be encompassed by limits. لا أن المعنى أنه متميز عن خلقه منفصل عنه مباين لهم سئل عبد الله بن المبارك بما نعرف ربنا قال بأنه على العرش بائن من خلقه قيل بحد قال بحد انتهى ومن المعلوم أن الحد يقال على ما ينفصل به الشيء ويتميز به عن غيره وَاللَّهُ تَعَالَى غَيْرُ حَالٍ فِي خَلْقِهِ وَلَا قَائِمٌ بِهِمْ بَلْ هُوَ الْقَيُّومُ الْقَائِمُ بِنَفْسِهِ الْمُقِيمُ لِمَا سِوَاهُ فَالْحَدُّ بِهَذَا الْمَعْنَى لَا يَجُوزُ أَنْ يَكُونَ فِيهِ مُنَازَعَةٌ فِي نَفْسِ الْأَمْرِ أَصْلًا فَإِنَّهُ لَيْسَ وَرَاءَ نَفْيِهِ إِلَّا نَفْيُ وُجُودِ الرَّبِّ وَالنَّفْيُ حَقِيقَتِهِ There are some narrations where some of the salaf were asked regarding Allah and they replied that Allah is above his throne separate from his creation so they were asked, you mean in a particular 
direction or in, in a particular uh, limit or in a, in, a, in a particular direction. So they said yes. That does not mean, that is not to be misinterpreted as the Salaf saying that Allah is encompassed by directions or limited within directions. But the point they were making by saying yes was that he is separate from this creation. Not like the Sufis, they say, Wahdatul Wujud. That Allah and the creation are all one entity. That's wrong. So when they said yes to those types of questions, all they were saying was that Allah is separate from us. Separate and above the creation. Not that we're saying Allah is limited or encompassed by sides or restricted. But just to highlight to them that Allah is separate from this creation and above this creation. So that can't be denied. That can't be denied. This is a critical point. The people of deviation will come and say, you can't say that. We say, absolutely you can. Allah is above. Allah is above, separate from this creation. Allah is not intertwined in this creation, all of us, the creation and the creator as one entity. Allah is separate and above this creation. So in that respect, that's all they meant. If anybody denies that, then it is, as they said, in reality, nothing short of denying Allah. If you deny that, then where is Allah? If you deny Allah is above and separate from the creation, you say, no, that's giving Allah a direction. You can't give Allah a direction. So then where is Allah? What's your understanding of Allah? The shaykh says there's nothing really left. If you deny that, you deny that Allah is above and separate from the creation because you say that's a direction, then where is Allah? What's going on? What do you believe in? Where is Allah then according to you? Do you believe Allah is here mixed in with all of the creation? Then just like that, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said, say to them, if you believe Allah is everywhere, and you can't give Allah any direction, you can't say Allah is above, and you say Allah is everywhere, then Shaykh al-Islam said, does that mean Allah is below us? Does that mean Allah is in the dirty places, in the toilets, in the streets? Then they start saying no, no, no to all of those questions. So then where is Allah on this earth? How many places are there where there isn't some dirt and some belittling thing on this earth? So, that's all the Salaf meant when they said yes to the question about direction. Simply to say that Allah isn't mixed in with the creation. Allah is above and separate to the creation. Above the creation. And that's like we said, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa said too. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa mentioned Allah being above the creation. And that when you make your dua, that's why you make it upwards to Allah. Because He's above the creation. Everybody raises their hands to make the dua. If Allah is everywhere, why do you need to raise your hands? Keep them here, keep them down. Allah is everywhere. Why does everybody raise their hands to make dua? Because you know Allah is above. Also, Al-Arkan Wal-A'da Wal-Adawat فَيُسْتَدَلُّ بِهَا أَوْ يَسْتَدِلُّ بِهَا النُّفَاتِ عَلَى نَفِي بَعْضِ الصِّفَاتِ الثَّابِتَ بِالْأَدِلَّةِ الْقَطْعِيَةِ اليد والوجه قال أبو حنيفة رضي الله عنه في الفقه الأكبر له يد ووجه ونفس كما ذكر تعالى في القرآن من ذكر اليد والوجه والنفس فهو له صفة بلا كيف ولا يقال إن يده قدرته ونعمته لأن فيه إبطال الصفة انتهى كلامه الإمام أبو حنيفة now a very important quote here الإمام أبو حنيفة says in Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar. 
even though there is some discussion between the scholars, is this book Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar definitely written by Imam Abu Hanifa? But most of them, they attribute it to Imam Abu Hanifa. So Imam Abu Hanifa, he said, Allah has a hand and a face and a self. Just like Allah told us in the Qur'an when he mentioned the hand and the face and his self. So he has the attributes without how. We don't know the how of those things. فَهُوَ لَهُ صِفَا بِلَا كَيْفِ وَلَا يُقَالْ And we don't say, you don't start saying, إِنَّ يَدَهُ This is Abu Hanifa saying this, Imam Abu Hanifa. Don't say, إِنَّ يَدَهُ قُدْرَتُهُ وَنِعْمَتُهُ Don't say the hand of Allah means the power of Allah or the blessing of Allah. How many people out there, they have those types of beliefs. And they call themselves Hanafi too. They say the hand of Allah, that just means the power of Allah, the blessing of Allah. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa says, don't start saying those things. Don't start saying the hand of Allah means the power of Allah or the blessing of Allah. لِأَنَّ فِيهِ إِبْطَالُ الصِّفَةِ Because that would then be rejecting and making the attribute null and void. You're actually making the attribute null and void, rejecting it by saying it means power and blessing. You're rejecting the reality of what's mentioned as the attribute of hand. So that is the statement of Imam Abu Hanifa. وَهَذَا الَّذِي قَالَهُ الْإِمَامُ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ ثَابِتٌ بِالْأَدِلَّةِ الْقَاطِعَةِ And what Imam Abu Hanifa said there, that is proven by absolute clear-cut evidences. For example, مَا مَنَعَكَ أَن تَسْجُدَ لِمَا خَلَقْتُ بِيَدَيَّ what prevented you from prostrating to the one who I created with my own two hands? Similarly, وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْضَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَالسَّمَاوَاتُ مَطْوِيَّاتٌ بِيَمِينَةِ That all of the earth will be in his grasp on the day of judgment. And the heavens will be rolled up in his right hand. In the Qur'an. Similarly, كُلُّ شَيْءٍ هَالِكٌ إِلَّا وَجْهَةٌ Everything will perish save the face of Allah. Similarly, وَيَبْقَى وَجْهُ رَبِّكَ ذُو الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ And the face of your Lord will remain the face of ذُو الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ The one of nobility and greatness. وَقَالَ تَعَالَى تَعْلَمُ مَا فِي نَفْسِي وَلَا أَعْلَمُ مَا فِي نَفْسِكَ You know what is inside of myself, but I do not know what is in of you. In yourself. The self of Allah. وَقَالَ تَعَالَى كَتَبَ رَبُّكُمْ كَتَبَ رَبُّكُمْ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ الرَّحْمَةِ That Allah has written upon Himself, His self, mercy. وَقَالَ تَعَالَى وَاسْطَنَعْتُكَ لِنَفْسِي For myself. وَيُحَذِّرُكُمُ اللَّهُ نَفْسَهُ and Allah warns you from Himself. Similarly, وَقَالَ الصَّلَىٰهِ وَسَلَّمْ فِي حَدِيثِ الشَّفَاعَةِ لَمَّا يَأْتِ النَّاسُ آدَمْ فَيَقُولُونَ لَهُ خَلَقَكَ اللَّهُ بِيَدِهِ وَأَسْجَدَ لَكَ مَلَائِكَتَهِ وَعَلَّمَكَ أَسْمَاءَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ That Allah has created you with His own hand. And he made the angels prostrate to you. And he taught you the name of everything. 
All of these examples affirming the attributes of Allah, the hands of Allah, the face of Allah, the self of Allah. وَلَا يَصِحُّ تَأْوِيلُ مَنْ قَالْ إِنَّ الْمُرَادَ بِالْيَدِ بِالْقُدْرَةِ فَإِنَّ قَوْلَهُ لِمَا خَلَقْتُ بِيَدَيَّ لَا يَصِحَ أَنْ يَكُونَ مَعْنَهُ بِقُدْرَتَيَّ مَعْ تَثْنِيَةِ الْيَدِ People who say that the hand of Allah means the power of Allah, they say it means the power of Allah. That cannot be, because Allah says, I created Adam with my two hands. Does that mean then Allah created Adam with his two powers? What's this two powers of Allah? Have we ever heard of the two powers of Allah anywhere in the Quran and the Sunnah? And even if us, does Allah only have two powers? Is Allah's power only two powers? So that doesn't make any sense to say the hand of Allah means power. Interpretation from the people of innovation only. وَلَوْ صَحَّ ذَلِكَ لَقَالَ إِبْلِيسُ وَنَا أَيْضًا خَلَقْتَنِي بِقُدْرَتِكَ And the other thing is, one of the points that was made to Iblis was, prostrate to Adam, the one who I created with my own hands. That was a point of virtue for Adam salam. It was virtue for him that Allah created him with his own hands. If it just meant power, that Allah created Adam with his power, how did Allah create Iblis? With his power. So what would be the virtue of Adam over Iblis then in that, in that context, prostrate to him because I created him with my own two hands. If Iblis was created with the same two powers too, there'd be no difference between them in that case. So clearly it doesn't mean power, it means hands, the hands of Allah. But as we said before, without any description or imagination or comparison to anything in creation. But Allah has hands that he created Adam salam with, that he will roll up the earth and the heavens on that day within. All of that mentioned. فَلَا فَضْلَ لَهُ عَلَيَّ بِذَلِكَ نَعْمْ فَإِبْلِيسَ مَعَ كُفْرِهِ كَانَ أَعْرَفْ بِرَبِّهِ مِنَ الْجَهْمِيَّةِ So Iblis, despite his kufr, is more knowledgeable than the jahmiyyah. Because even Iblis acknowledged and understood those attributes of Allah. Whereas the Jahmiyyah reject them. وَلَا دَلِيلَ لَهُمْ فِي قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَىٰ أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّا خَلَقَنَا لَهُمْ مِمَّا عَمِلَتْ أَيْدِينَا أَنْعَامًا فَهُمْ لَهَا مَالِكُونَ لأنه تعالى جمع, جمع الأيدي لما, لما أضافها إلى ضمير الجمع Sometimes people they bring up this issue that in the Quran, in some parts, it mentions the hands of Allah as a plural. And in some parts as a dual. And in some parts as a singular. In some ayat it mentions one hand. In some ayat two hands. In some ayat plural hands. So how many hands has Allah got? What's the fatwa? Two hands, but there are some ayat that say the plural. Some ayat they mention the plural, like in this one, "Mimma amilat aydina," our hands, plural, not just two. Kif? La. هذا الذي قلنا ما يمكن أن نقول أن هذا معناه القدرة. He says here look 
Read again. La yasih an yakuna ma'nahu bi qudratayya ma'a tathniyatil yad. Walau sahha dhalika laqala iblis wa ana aydan khalaqtani bi qudratika fala fadla lahu alayya bi dhalik. Fa iblis ma'a kufrihi kana a'raf bi rabbihi min al-jahmiyya. ولا دليل لهم في قوله تعالى أولم يروا أن خلقنا لهم مما عملت أيدينا لأنه تعالى جمع الأيدي لما أضافها إلى ضمير الجمع ليتناسب الجمعان اللفظيان للدلالة على الملك والعظمة The only reason why it's a plural is because linguistically the بلاغة of the Arabic language plural plural goes together it doesn't indicate that Allah has more than two hands. That is simply an issue of etiquette in Arabic language. Plurals go with plurals. No doubt there are narrations of the sunnah and the other ayat which clearly highlight and therefore give the understanding of the two hands. Anyway, وَلَمْ يَقُلْ أَيْدِيَّ مُضَافًا إِلَى ضَمِيرِ الْمُفْرَدِ وَلَا يَدَيْنَا بِتَثْنِيَةِ الْيَدِ مُضَافًا إِلَى ضَمِيرِ الْجَمْعِ فَلَمْ يَكُنْ قَوْلُهُمْ مِمَّا عَمِلَتْ أَيْدِينَا نَظِيرْ قَوْلِهِ لِمَا خَلَقْتُ بِيَدَيَّ وقال نبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عن ربه حجابه النور ولو كشفه لأحرقت صبحات وجهه من تهى إليه بصره من خلقه So the point being here that these ayat some of them mention one hand some of them mention two hands some of them mention plural the ones that mention the plural, it is just the etiquettes of the Arabic language. It does not indicate more. The ones that mention the singular, what do we do about that? Mm-hmm. Okay. The one, the singular one, there is another grammatical rule basically. A singular made mudafilehi to something does not indicate singular sometimes only in Arabic. So really, bottom line, in a nutshell, the one and the three, they are grammatical points in Arabic, which can be easily understood in the etiquettes of the Arabic language, in the eloquence of the Arabic language. Basically, then it all comes down to the two hands of Allah. The two hands of Allah. And it mentions about the two hands of Allah being right hands to explain that nobody should think like in creation we have a stronger hand and a weaker hand that Allah has a stronger and a weaker hand. Therefore the narration says Allah's both hands are right hands in order for you to recognize there's no such thing as a stronger hand and a weaker hand for Allah. Both of the hands of Allah are like the right hands how we understand that in terms of both being... uh, Powerful, both being of the strength, not one of them being weaker than the other. So both of the hands of Allah are right hands. Then, وَلَكِنْ لَا يُقَالُ لِهَذِيُ الصِّفَاتِ إِنَّهَا أَعْضَاءَ أَوْ جَوَارِحْ أَوْ أَدَوَاتِ أَوْ أَرْكَانِ لِأَنَّ الرُّكَنْ جُزْءَ الْمَاهِيَّةِ وَاللَّهُ تَعَالَى هُوَ الْأَحَدَ الصَّمَدِ لَا يَتَجَزَّ وَالْأَعْضَاءَ فِيهَا مَعْنَى التَّفْرِيقِ وَالتَّعْضِيَ تعالى الله عن ذلك ومن هذا المعنى قوله تعالى الذين جعلوا القرآن عظيم So, when we talk about these attributes of Allah now, it must be understood also that we don't therefore say that these attributes of Allah are body parts. Because when you say body part, it indicates a section of something 
that it's attached to of a greater entity. So you say the hand of a human, so now you recognize the essence of the human and that body part, the hand. We don't start thinking about this as body parts of Allah. You do not start thinking in that way. You do not start thinking of these things as body parts of Allah. Because the attributes of Allah are not separable from Allah. The attributes of Allah are the essence of Allah. The essence of Allah, the attributes of Allah. So you don't start thinking of this as body parts, the Shaykh says. وَالْجَوَارِحْ فِيهَا مَعْنَ الْاِكْتِسَابِ وَالْإِنْتِثَاعِ وَكَذَلِكَ الْأَدَوَاتِ هِيَ الْآلَاتَ الَّتِي يَنْتَفِعُ بِهَا فِي جَلْبِ الْمَنْفَعَةِ وَدَفْعِ الْمَضَرَّةِ وَكُلُّ هَذِي الْمَعَانِي مُنْتَفِيَةِ عَنِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَلِهَذَا لَمْ يَرِدْ ذِكْرُهَا فِي صِفَاتِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى فَالْأَلْفَاظِ أَشَرْعِيَّةَ لألا يثبت معنى فاسد أو ينفى معنى صحيح وكل هذه الألفاظ المجملة عرضه أو عرضة للمحق والمبطل. then he highlights here that when we talk about the attributes of Allah we're not talking about them as body parts and we're not thinking about them as we think about our body parts. Our hands that we use to earn with and to work with and we need them in that way. You don't start thinking of them in that way at all for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That our body parts, we use them to benefit ourselves, to work, to earn. We need the body parts for these objectives and purposes. You don't think about Allah with objectives and purposes like our body parts have. So the point being again, you do not make comparison in any way. Not in the actual imagination, nor in the what's connected to it. In our body parts, we consider our hands as our earning tools. Our hands are our earning tools. Use your hands to do your work with whatever work it is you're doing and you're earning. But you don't attribute that type of thinking to Allah, that Allah's hands are attributes that allow Him to earn anything or to, to uh, allow Him to, to carry out things. It's not in a way the way our attributes are that we use our attributes in certain ways. So you don't make comparison to Allah in the actual attribute nor in the meanings of how we use our attributes to Allah. The point being from all of this, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ We affirm the attributes and we accept and we believe in them. But we don't try to imagine them or put any descriptions around them or say that Allah has body parts or that Allah has a body. We do not imagine or say any of that. Then he says, لا تحويه الجهات السد كسائر المبتدعات وهو حق باعتبار أنه لا يحيط به شيء من مخلوقاته بل هو محيط بكل شيء مفاقه. So Allah subhanahu wa taala is not encompassed by any direction, and that is true. Directions do not encompass Allah. Rather, Allah is all encompassing of everything in His creation. Allah is all encompassing of everything in His creation. The creation, the directions do not encompass Him. وَهَذَا الْمَعْنَى هُوَ الَّذِي أَرَادَهُ الشَّيْخِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ And that is what the uh, author, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi, intended when he said that the directions do not encompass Allah. Meaning this creation and the directions, they do not encompass Allah. Rather, Allah is the one who encompasses all of the creation. So we don't say when we say that Allah is above, therefore He is encompassed by the direction of east and west, and He's above and, he's, and the south is below and... We don't talk about directions like this and Allah being encompassed by the directions. 
Rather, Allah is the one who encompasses everything. وَهَذَا الَّذِي أَرَادَهُ نعم وسيأتي كلامه أنه تعالى محيط بكل شيء وفوقه and later on in fact Imam Al-Tahawi is going to mention how Allah is all encompassing of everything and above everything so the creation is encompassed by Allah فإذا جمع بين كلاميه وهو قوله لا تحويه الجهات الصدق سائر المبتدعات وبين قوله محيط بكل شيء وفوقه علم أن مراده أن الله تعالى لا يحويه شيء ولا يحيط به شيء كما يكون لغيره من المخلوقات وأنه تعالى هو المحيط بكل شيء العالي على كل شيء. The point of this Ibn Abi Al-Hanafi says is that Imam Al-Tahawi wants to highlight that Allah is not encompassed by any direction. Because if that was the case then that would be saying that Allah is being encompassed by creation. And that cannot be the case. Allah is greater than all of creation. And we've done the narration before about how the footstool of Allah to the throne of Allah is like a ring in a desert. And how we, all of the creations of the heavens and the earth, compared to that footstool, we become like a ring in a desert. So what therefore of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of the footstool and the throne. Certainly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who encompasses all of creation. It is not us or in creation anything that encompasses Allah. That is the point and the purpose uh, that Al-Imam Al-Tahawi wants to highlight here. لكن بقي في كلامه شيئان أحدهما أن إطلاق مثل هذا اللفظ مع ما فيه من الإجمال والاحتمال كان تركه أولى وإلا تسلط عليه وأوزم بالتناقض في إثبات لحاطة والفوقية ونفي جهة العلو الإمام ابن بالعز الحنفي highlights here that this line has been used by the people of innovation. And that is amazing. That Imam Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi from hundreds of years ago says, this line, it was probably better if Imam al-Tahawi phrased it different or left it out or did it in a different way. Because it's used by the people of innovation, they'll use it for falsehood. Because they'll try and say, okay, so Allah isn't encompassed by any direction, therefore you can't say Allah is above. If you say Allah is above, that means He's encompassed by direction. So Ibn Abil Izz says maybe it would have been better if done in a different way here. So that's amazing. Why is it amazing? Because Ibn Abil Izz al-Hanafi was saying this years ago when he wrote the book. Hundreds of years ago. And to this day today, what's the one line they always want to use? This, one. this line. And Ibn Abil Izz was saying from centuries ago, this is the line. He knew from those days the people of innovation were trying to use this line to refute the aqidah of Ahl sunnah To try and say, okay, so you believe Allah has no direction, not encompassed by any direction? You say, yes. You say, in that case, you can't say Allah is above. If you say Allah is above, that means He's encompassed by the south and this and that and directions. That's what they were going to try and do. So Ibn Abdul Izz al-Hanafi says, maybe it would have been better done in a different way here. Also, uh, now, the second point not as important, but this first point uh, he highlights that they've been trying to use that from that time. The point after that then, which will begin the next time, is the point regarding the night of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. The story of Al-Isra wal-Mi'raj. When the Prophet ﷺ was taken up to the heavens. The story of when he was taken up to the heavens... And Allah spoke to him, 
And on that night is when the prayer, the salah was revealed. Furidat alayhi salawat. Fi laylat al-isra'u al-mi'raj. So that is the section or the chapter that Imam al-Tahawi is going to start talking about next time. About the night of al-isra'u al-mi'raj. When the Prophet ﷺ was taken up to the heavens and what happened on that night and that story, that is what's going to be mentioned. And then what the Mushrikun said afterwards when he came back and they began making a mockery of Abu Bakr, etc. And what did he say back to them? All of that story about the night when the Prophet was taken up to the heavens, inshallah ta'ala, that's where we'll begin with next time. The story regarding the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj. Anything up to there? Any questions? Anything? What do they call it in English? What is it? Pantheism, but there's another word. Unity in the olden days, the easier phrase was the unity of existence. Meaning, they believe the creation, al-khalq, the creator, al-khaliq, all of it is one. We are all one thing. Allah is not, we say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what? Fawqa, as-samawati sab'a, ba'inun al-khalqihi, separate from his creation. Allah is above, separate, ba'inun al-khalqihi, aqeedat ahli sunnah wal jama'ah. But as Sufiya and the people of innovation, they say, no, la. Laysa biba'in an khalqihi. They say, rather, he is mixed in the creation. Allah is here, the khaliq and the khalq, all together. Wahdatul wujud. One existence. All of us together. This is how they believe. So, yani bi-khtasar, yigulun la. Laysa biba'in an khalqihi, bal huwa ma'ana huna, nahnu kulluna. <laughs> so who created who? Which one created which one? Then if we are all the creator and the created, then who created who and how did it work? And this is the problem with the, the aqidah which is deviated. This is the inhiraf. Hmm. Uh, is it permissible to do the sacrifice for somebody who's died? No. No? Anything else? Yes. Yes? You can say for me and my family. Uh huh. So the scholars they say, the Salaf, uh, the scholars never used to do the Udhiyah specifically for somebody died. So you don't do a slaughter on either side. This is purely with the intention of my father who's died. Purely for the intention of my grandfather. It's his udhiyah. You can't do it like that. You can't make an intention for somebody died. This is his sacrifice. I'm doing it on his behalf. Like when you go do hajj, you do hajj on behalf of somebody. You can't do this like that. You can't do a slaughtering and say, this is with the intention of my great-grandfather, this is his udhiyam today. You can't do like that. But what you can do, is that you can include somebody deceased in the intention. So you can say, this udhiyah is mine, 
This is my slaughtering. I'm doing it for the Eid today now, for my family, for my household. And in my intention is my grandfather who was in our household, used to live with us, died last year. He was in the household. I include him in the intention of my udhiyah. So your udhiyah now is for yourself, your family, your household. But you include in that your grandfather who used to be with you but he died last year. Include him in the overall intention. But you can't specify. You can't say I'm doing this with the intention for my grandfather. Mm. So you don't like to say like one company, like what one chief is one chair, so that's like one person. Can you include them people in that one chair? No, your household. You can include your household in that one chair. So like the example I gave, imagine you had like a grandfather used to live with you in your household. He's died now, this year you're slaughtering for your household. You can have the intention of your grandfather as well. One sheep for the household. No, no, no. Household, one sheep. So now you, you got a person, him, his wife, his five kids. Even if he's got his parents living there, no problem. That's one household in that one house. For that one household, one sheep covers it all. The only difference is, imagine you have a, a bit of a mansion house, mashallah. And there's, for example, the parents are living there. You got a brother who's married and he's got kids. Another brother living in other section of the big massive house. He's married, he's got kids. So now you got two different separate families, both working, both got income, both paying into the house. They are two independent families, although they are living in one household. In that case, the scholars say independent families. Now they are both independent men, both earning, both paying towards the house, then both should do an independent sacrifice for their families. But otherwise, if it's not like that, imagine now you got your mom and dad, you might be working, you might have your family, you might be married, but you're living in the same house with your parents, and really you're still kind of dependent on your parents, your parents are still paying the bills of the house and everything, even though you're working and you're contributing to the house, then it could be enough, one for the whole house. Your parents could do it, and still you're in the household, you're part of that household, in that one household, one is enough. If they did not have their independent families and nothing, then they are part of your household too. But if they were separate, then maybe, I don't know, Allah alam, if you can really include them, but inshallah there's no harm in it. That you're, because the point is you're doing your sacrifice for yourself now for your family. Those deceased ones are just secondary intention inside. It's not the primary intention. That's a general thing. The ummah thing. You cannot do that. You can't say this person doing it for that person. This person died. Not like that. So that was specific for the Prophet There are things that were specific to. That's one. You can't just do it for the ummah like that. It's not like that. So sacrifice is for your household. You have to make the intention before the ten days of Sulhijah or whilst. Can you make it now as well? Well, ideally it should have been beforehand, so that you don't cut the nails, you don't cut the hair, etc. There are those rulings for the ten days. In the middle afterwards, Allah alam how the rulings and the fiqh changes. But ideally it should have been from beforehand, so you don't cut the nails, hair, etc. Some people say, you know, the hair nails, it's just to recommend it. Or they no, no. This is a deviation amongst the people now. They say, cutting them, because obviously it's a bit of a burden for people as they see it these days. Hair and nails, not cutting your nails for 10 days, not cutting your hair for 10 days. They see it as, you know, it's a bit of a problem for them. So now all these people have come along, all these so-called scholars... It's not obligatory, it's just a recommendation, it's not a big deal if you cut your hair, you cut your nails. 
nonsense. It's the sunnah. It's blatant. Sahih Muslim. Do not cut your head. Do not cut your nails until you've done the sacrifice. Uh, some people they call the Prophet is that? No, this is again the, your your the, the sacrifice you do is for your household. Yeah. Your household. And if there's any deceased members, you can include them in that intention. That's what we're talking about. It's not like that. They say it's metaphorical. It just means the power of Allah. It just means the blessing of Allah. But that's incorrect. Because like we said, if it meant a metaphorical meaning, when Allah said to Iblis, bow down, prostrate to the one who I created with my own hands, who was Adam. Why did Allah mention that to Iblis? Because that was a virtue for Adam. Allah created Adam with his own hands. Whereas Iblis, Allah didn't create him directly with his own hands. So now, Adam had a virtue over Iblis. If it was metaphorical, that Allah created Adam metaphorically with his hands, or with his power, then how did Allah create Iblis? They use the, uh, metaphorically with his power, they'd be equal then. Go on. Because the rule is, the rule is, when a word is used, you have a default primary meaning for a word. Then there are secondary meanings for a word. A secondary meaning is allowed if it can be explained and justified in a context. So for example, if I say to you, uh, I was in the forest, in the, in the jungle, and I saw a lion. So what did I see? A lion, what's a lion? Scary animal. Scary animal. It's going to eat you, the lion. That's what you understand, because the primary understanding of the word lion is the predatory animal. What if I said to you, no, 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 I didn't mean that. I meant, uh, uh, I meant the brother, Naeem. I saw him in the jungle, lion. <laughs> I was talking about him. <laughs> so now, that you can use that in the language. Such and such, he's a lion, mashallah. But when I say to you, I was in the jungle and I saw a lion, what's the primary meaning? The actual lion, not him. That's a secondary meaning. If I give you some indication that I mean the secondary meaning, then okay, I could say, yeah, I was in the jungle yesterday and I saw the lion there, mashallah. We, we sat and talked for a while and this and that and everything. So now you know I'm talking about the brother Naim who we refer to as a lion all the time. Because now the context tells you. If there's no other explanation, I say lion in the jungle, primary meaning lion. That's these kinds of ayat. Normally when the words hands and everything are mentioned, primary meaning hands. You can't do metaphorical, metaphorically secondary. Him, he is a lion, that's a metaphor, that's a simile. So those kinds of meanings are secondary. Primary, hands are hands. In those kinds of ayat, there will be some context to indicate the secondary meaning. Whereas only other ayat, there isn't. So let's say, for example, now uh, I say, yes, I was walking in the street and I saw the lion. And we all refer to him as the lion. So now everybody in the street of Leeds, you know I'm talking about him. I haven't seen a lion there. So there now the context explains. But then if you say, if you want to use that meaning everywhere, it wouldn't work. If I say, yes, and I went to the zoo yesterday and I saw the lion behind the pen and he was, uh, they, they were feeding him and everything. Are you going to say, well, he's still talking about the brother? <laughs> now I'm not, obviously. So now you can't start to use the same meaning for all the ayat, can you? Some ayat are going to have that primary meaning. Some will have a maybe secondary meaning, but there'll be explanation when it's the secondary meaning. Mm. All right, we'll conclude there for today then.
next week 7 p.m. inshallah ta'ala